It is Easter, um, and Easter's an awesome day to come to church because you don't have to guess what the pastor's gonna be preaching about, right? Like, there's, there's no slick title. Um, there, there's, we're not gonna try to get you to think about what we're gonna talk about. You know, it, it, Easter and Christmas Eve are kind of the same way, right? We, we show up on Christmas Eve, and we know we're gonna be talking about the birth of Christ. You guys here on Christmas Eve. Um, the, uh, if you show up on Easter, we're going to be talking about Easter bunnies, right? Like, of course, right? Eggs, Easter egg hunts. No, that's not what we're going to talk about. Um, we're going to be talking about the resurrection. And I, I'm so excited about it because as, I, as I've been saying, like, when we make the resurrection personal, it changes everything. It really does. That event in history. And so if you're here, maybe um, you've never heard the story of Easter I want to say that you've actually have an advantage on us that grew people that grew up in the church, because you'll be looking and hearing it with fresh eyes and fresh ears. I think that's the only way we should look at the resurrection. Um, have you ever looked at something with a fresh perspective? The other day, I I, I was reminded that I'm a husband, um, and it's not that I forgot. Um, it's just that I saw mar- like I saw the beauty of marriage, um, right? Like. There, there's something about when I, I walked in that day and my wife was helping our kids with their homework and, um, and she had the, the meal going and I probably should have helped, but I just sat there and I saw how beautiful and kind and loving and patient my wife is. I just kind of saw her with new eyes um, and this fresh perspective. You know, it, it, we saw the beauty and the things that we know have beauty, but oftentimes become so familiar to us that they lose their value, right? Sometimes, especially in the scorching heat of the summer, we forget about the beautiful weather that we have in the spring, and you're wondering, like, why do we live in Orlando, right? Sometimes when, when diapers need to be changed, when bills need to be paid, when homework needs to be done, we forget about the beauty and the things that, that are around us. And I know that for me, that happens often with the resurrection, right? Like, it's something that we celebrate every year. And so there's a tendency for me to, to devalue it, like, especially when I mess up. When I mess up, I forget about the grace that's found in the resurrection. When I lose my way, when my life seem, per, seems purposeless, I forget about the purpose and direction that I can find in the resurrection. When my life, when I've placed my, my trust in things that, that disappoint me, I often forget about the hope that's found in the resurrection. When I come face to face with my fears, I often forget how the power to overcome is found in the resurrection. And so my hope is that each of us here, uh, as we celebrate this event in history, that we would make it personal and that we would see it with a fresh perspective because it truly does change everything. Uh, Many of you know that uh, about a month ago, I had the opportunity to travel to the Holy Land, to Israel, uh, and it was just amazing. I totally recommend if you ever have an opportunity to to go um, to to visit. I really fell in love with the the Galilee region, which is where Jesus did a lot of his ministry. And there was this particular place that we went to on the northern shore of the Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, um, that that absolutely just kind of Put things in perspective. And there, I have a picture of, um, of me there uh, in the Sea of Galilee. And this is it here. And 
when they, when they kind of started explaining what had actually happened here, um, like, I, I was kind of transported to that time. Like I, was, I went back in time. See, this here is where Peter comes face to face with the resurrected Jesus. It says that after the crucifixion, Peter, they, they went up to, to the Sea of Galilee and they were actually fishing. It says that they were about 100 yards offshore. So if you, if you can picture this, this boat made, and that you had these disciples, these, Peter was one of them, and they're fishing, and they've been fishing all night. They can't catch anything. And here comes this guy on shore, right about where I would have been. And he says, hey, cast your nets on the other side. And they, get the, they catch 153 fish Peter recognizes that it's Jesus. And what does he do? He doesn't even wait for the guys to turn the boat around and, and come to shore. He jumps off the, off the boat and swims about 100 yards to about where Jesus would have been. And as I stood there, I started to imagine what, how it must have been for Jesus, for Peter to come face to face with the resurrected Jesus. I started to think about what were the implications of the resurrection that came to life for Peter on that day? I think for us to understand it, we have to do what we often do on social media when, when, we, when we come in contact with something. We take a, a before and after picture, right? Like that's how we can, we can see the implications of something. We can see the effects of something. And that's what I wanna do today is I wanna look at a before the resurrection, Peter, and an after the resurrection, Peter. This interaction that Peter had on the shores here, uh, we're gonna be talking about it next week, so you should definitely come back, the actual interaction. But today I wanna look at, I wanna look at Peter before, and then I wanna look at Peter after, because the implications of the resurrection change everything. And so if you would, um, if you've got your Bibles, it's also in your bulletin. We're gonna be looking at Luke chapter 22. Um, and to kind of give us some context as you find it, uh, it, 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 so Jesus has come into Jerusalem um, on Palm Sunday, which we celebrated last Sunday, um, and people were shouting Hosanna. And in just a few days, people go from shouting Hosanna to shouting crucify him because they expected Jesus to bring in a different type of kingdom than the one he came to bring. They expected him to bring a kingdom here on earth, and, and, and Jesus says, I'm doing something bigger than what you can see here. And so the, 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 the pressure is mounting and Jesus has actually uh, had his, his uh, last meal with his disciples and he gives them a new command to love one another. If, you, if you're familiar with the story, he goes into the garden of Gethsemane and, and he's in just in so much anguish because he knew what was happen, gonna happen. And then Judas betrays him and that's where we pick up the story. It says, then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I, I don't know. I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Now, the interesting part here 
is that they knew he was a Galilean. Some translations say they could tell by his accent. It's important. Uh, the, the, the Galilee region is kind, of, is kind of like country. It's the countryside. And, and Jerusalem was like, like New York City. I mean, that's how, how big of a difference it was. So Peter likely would have had a southern accent or some accent that would have let them know that he was from the Galilee region. Incredible. It says, Peter replied, man, I do not know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Here's Peter, this country boy, finds himself in the middle of New York City, in the middle of Jerusalem, with some people that have already mistreated his best friend. And he is so gripped with fear that he does something that he never thought he would imagine doing. Just a few moments earlier, he had told Jesus, Jesus, I'm gonna die with you. Don't, like, don't worry, I got your back. When, no, when all this goes down, I've got your back. And he is gripped with so much fear that he does something that he never thought he would do. I'm not sure about you, but I've been in that place, right? Fear just takes a hold of you that you do something that you never thought you would do. Maybe you were afraid to, to, to wait and trust on God and you take things into your own hands. Maybe you were so afraid of what people would say when they found out that you decided to do something that you never thought you would do. Can you imagine Peter? He was so gripped with fear. And maybe fear hasn't put you in the circumstances that, you've, that you're in or that you've been in, but fear sometimes keeps us in those situations, right? Maybe it's fear of the hard work that it's gonna take to restore your marriage, to win over the heart of your child, to open up the, the bank account and see what's been happening with your finances, right? That fear that sinks in, that kind of almost paralyzes us. Peter does something that he never thought he would do, and when he recognizes it, he begins to weep bitterly, it tells us. He walks outside and he begins to weep uncontrollably because he began to feel the weight of guilt, of the guilt and shame of what he had just done. He stared into the eyes of his best friend as he had just betrayed him. And there's their sinking and, and great weight of sin upon Peter's life. I've been there too. It's this, this weight of shame and guilt that comes upon us when we, when we recognize what we've done. Maybe it's that if people knew my addiction or if people knew this and, 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 and it's that that just kind of weighs on us. And we see Peter here feel so much weight that he begins to cry uncontrollably. In my life, that, that sin, that, that shame and that guilt often leads to hopelessness. 
this feeling of feeling so hopeless, that all is lost, that my best is not good enough, that what I have is insufficient. This hopelessness leads to, leads to a sense of, uh, of, of being lost, of not having any purpose. I remember uh, just a, a, about a year and a few months ago, our daughter, Micaela, who's now 15 months, but at the time she was only about 10 days, she, she began to develop this cough. And um, she was only 10 days, so we, you know, we're kind of like, take her to the doctor. They listened. Everything sounded great. Okay. Um, they're just like, oh, it just should be fine. Just monitor it. But about day 15, she begins to cough, and, and now she begins to, like, turn purple, which absolutely freaks a parent out because it's just so small. I remember we took her to, the, um, to an urgent care, and they rushed us to the hospital uh, in an ambulance, and we get there, and, and they're running tests on her, and the doctor comes in. He's like, hey, I think she has pertussis or the whooping cough. And so I'm like, oh, she's just got a cough, right? That's not a big deal. Um, but I didn't know that if you, for infants under three months that get whooping cough, 40% of them don't make it. And so when faced with this reality, I said, well, so what do we have to do? What do we, you know, give her the medicine we need to give her, you know, like whatever we need to do. And he said, really, there's nothing we can do. Um, it just has to run its course. You want to talk about hopeless. We were sitting there. They said, the only thing we can give her is support treatment, which was oxygen and some suction when she was coughing. We were in ICU for 20 days. It was a feeling of hopelessness. We could do nothing. We had no purpose. Have you ever felt that way? Felt that hopeless? That's exactly how Peter felt on that day, that he did something he never thought he would do. Peter was so hopeless that even after Easter, even after the resurrection, he stares into an empty tomb. And he says that he left wondering what had happened. You're like, Peter, Jesus told you, your buddy told you what, that he would die and on the third day that he would rise again and you're so hopeless that you stare in an empty tomb and you wonder what happened. But what happened on that day was that Jesus conquered death. I was hoping I'd get an amen. Arnold's not here today, but uh, amen. What happened on that day changed everything. And I know that some here are kind of might be skeptical that the, the resurrection was an actual event in history. And for you, maybe looking at this story with fresh eyes is leaving here today and investigating the evidence, considering the evidence, because there's so much of it. In fact, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians that there were over 500 witnesses to the resurrection. He, he tells, he was talking to the, to the church in, in, in Corinth. He was saying, hey, he goes, many of them are still alive. Talk to them. Go, go ask them. They saw Jesus after he had died. And that was preserved for us today. If you're skeptical, there's a great book called The Case for Easter by Lee Strobel. It's literally $2.99, small, quick read. I want to, maybe for you today, making Easter personal means investigating the evidence and considering if it was an event in history. Because that's where you need to start. 
If it wasn't an event in history, that means that Jesus is who he claimed to be. And that changes everything. So Peter heads off to the Sea of Galilee. He goes back to what, what Jesus had called him from. He goes back to fishing with his buddies. And on that day, Jesus encounters him. He comes and Easter becomes personal to him. And, and it absolutely transformed his life. And it jumps us, I wanna jump forward to the after picture because we find it in Luke chapter three. Now it's the, the, the passage is in your text, but what's interesting here is um, Jesus has ascended to heaven and Peter finds himself preaching to the very people that had put so much fear in him that he did something he never thought he would imagined. We're talking a period of only about 60 days, 40 to 60 days from when Jesus denied him to when we see him here in Acts chapter three and he is preaching to those people. But we see a redeemed Peter. You see, because redemption is at the center of the gospel. The idea that God takes and he purchases us that he takes the broken pieces of our lives and he restores them and he makes something beautiful. That's the Peter that we find here. He's preaching because he is no longer held back by the shame and guilt of his sin. You see, on the cross, Jesus once and for all paid for our sin. We're forgiven. On the cross, Peter got something that he didn't deserve and that's the definition of grace, right? Once and for all, Jesus paid for the price, the price for our sin, and the resurrection is the proof of purchase. It tells us that Jesus had the authority to pay for our sin. There's a store not too far from here that rhymes with RJ, um, and when you go in there, it's a big store, um, you, you pay for your items and they give you a receipt. You can't get out of the store with that, with that receipt, right? It's the proof of purchase. The, on that day, Jesus, through the resurrection, proved that he had the authority to pay for each and every one of our sins. We're forgiven. Hey, Sam, you don't know what I've done. You have no idea the mess that my life has been. It's, you're forgiven. Sam, you, you don't know what I did last night. You're forgiven. Sam, I've made, like, I can't seem to get away from this addiction. You're forgiven. On that day, Jesus rose from the dead and he proved that he paid for our sin on the cross. And we see Peter, a post-resurrected Peter, preaching to the same people because he had a hope that comes from being free. You see, when we're held back in the bondage of our sin, we lose hope. Because Paul tells us that the, the penalty for our sin is death. Paul tells us, the wages of our sin is death. We can't pay it. It's a debt we cannot pay. On that resurrection, on that day, on that first Easter, when Peter comes face to face, that resurrection becomes personal to him. He experiences a hope 
that fear could not take away. And the power of the resurrection becomes that that hope is the thing that drives us beyond our fear. Right? We're, we're, none of us are, are fearless people in and of ourselves. We often need a vision to move us beyond our fear. And that's exactly what the resurrection does. See, I overcame a fear of mine just about six months ago. Um, it's not six months ago, six years ago. It was the fear of jumping out of a perfectly good plane. Um, I, I, it was the fear of skydiving. Um, it's about six years ago, my wife and I, with a group of people, we went skydiving, and um, like, I got to the place, and you know, it's kind of like you psych yourself up for it. You're like, okay, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this. Um, and then you get there, and there are signs throughout the entire process, like, hey, this isn't a good idea. Hey, this isn't a good idea. Like, the first sign is they hand you this clipboard with like 17 pages of like disclosures. <laughs> There's even a paragraph that they don't let you just initial. Like, you have to actually write it out because they want to make sure that you read the words of that paragraph. And it, in essence, says, hey, if you die, we're not responsible. So you're at your own risk here. And, but I'm like, you know, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. I got this. You walk out, and um, the, you get together with the guy who's going to be jumping with you, and, um, and he t- kind of tells you how it's all going to go down. And he's like, hey, we're going to do this, and we're going to do that. And you're just kind of like, how good of an idea this is, but I'm gonna do it. You know, we're all here together. And they suit you up and the plane gets there. Um, and, and, and so you start walking to the plane um, and they use LIFO accounting. Okay, so it's last in, first out. You kind of like pile into the plane and the last person in is the first person out. So my wife was the last person to get in. And so we, we start, we start kind of, the plane starts moving and you're just like, okay, here we go. And then it starts, it gets in the air. And it's, it doesn't have any like insulation or, um, or uh, pressure. It's not pressurized or anything. So you can hear the propellers. It's like, and you're kind of, you know, going up. And then we get to about 15,000 feet, right? We've passed clouds. I mean, that's how high we are. And then all of a sudden, the, 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 the plane throttles down. And so and you're like, you, know, you get that thing in your stomach. And for me, what came to mind was, I bet I wouldn't be the first person that got up here and didn't jump. Right? Like, I, I was like, I, I, I bet I'm not the first one to make it up here and say, you know what, guy, turn around. Like, I'm not doing this. Um, let's take this back down. Um, but there was that thing in your stomach, and then, then I, I'm a banker at heart, and so I was like, but I did just pay $250. That's probably non-refundable, right? Like, so all that's kind of going on in my mind. And, and then, remember, my wife was the first one to get in, the last one to get in. And so I'm kind of like thinking, okay, at what point, like, do I just do it now? Do I tell them no, or do I kind of wait till we get closer and then be like, no, I'm not doing this? Um, and, and... I look up, and it's as if my wife was literally sucked out of this plane. It's just like, <laughs> woof. And I'm like, like, there's no, couldn't see anything through the window. And I am like, oh no. Like now I have to do this, right? Like my wife did it. Um, and God used my pride to move me beyond my fear at that point. 
But we all need something to move us beyond our fear. We even see this in the life of Jesus, right? The writer of Hebrews tells us that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. You and I, we were his joy. There was something that moved him beyond the pain and fear of being on the cross, of what it would take, of, of, of all the pain, the humiliation, the weight of all our sin upon him. There was something that moved him beyond that, and it was you and I for the joy set before him. And that's the power of the resurrection, that it gives us the hope to overcome the things in our lives that would so easily tear us apart. We see Peter here. I love it because what, what, what we saw was that nothing in the life of Peter changed. In his circumstances, nothing changed. It was still dangerous to follow Jesus. In fact, he would give his life for it. There was no part of his world that had changed, but he had come face to face. The resurrection had been made personal, and it changed everything. He knew he was forgiven, and he knew the freedom that came with that. He had a hope that gave him purpose and there was nothing that could keep him from doing what God had called him to do. Jesus defeated death. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, it says, death has been swallowed up in victory. It says, oh death, where is your sting? I love the message version of it. It says, death has been swallowed by triumphant life. Jesus rose from the dead with life in his hands for each and every one of us. It goes on to say, it says, death, oh death, who had the last word? Oh death, who's afraid of you now? Paul is in essence talking smack to death. Because he had a hope of everlasting life and it changed the here and now for, for both Peter and Paul. I know in a day like today, you know, there, there are folks in here who are living life like, like a, a post-Easter post Peter, right? You're, you're, you're experiencing God's forgiveness and grace in your life. You have purpose and meaning you have a hope that moves you beyond your fears. Your call today is to make Easter, make the resurrection personal for others, to be a conduit of that grace and that hope that only comes from a relationship with Jesus. And so who's that, who are you gonna be a conduit to? Is there are people around you who need it. For some, some of you are, are here, and maybe you're living as if the resurrection never happened, but it did. If you're living without purpose, and I'm not saying that you don't work hard or that you haven't accomplished anything, but it may be that what you're working for is not gonna last. Paul writes that nothing that we do for the Lord is in vain. Because he lives, you can live your life with purpose and meaning. Maybe some of you are feeling the weight of the guilt and shame because of your sin. Because he lives, 
you can have freedom, the freedom that comes from knowing that you are forgiven. That's something that none of us deserves, but that's why it's called grace. Some of you are living so hopeless. You've placed your, your trust in things of the things of this world, and you've been disappointed time and time and time again. But you're living your life. It's, it's hopeless. Because he lives, we have the promise of everlasting life. And some are living life just gripped with fear, a fear that paralyzes us, causes us to do things that we never thought we would do. And today I want to remind you that because he lives, you can overcome the things that just have a grip on you. You can be free. Now the beautiful part of Easter is that it, it doesn't just simply give us these things, but but Easter guarantees that they cannot be taken away. Wow. Forgiveness cannot be taken away. Not by your sin, not by what you've done or what you will do. God's grace cannot be taken away from us. That gives us purpose and meaning. Purpose cannot be taken away from you. Not by the circumstances that you're living in, not by what's happened to you, you can, whether in the executive chair or in that chair in that middle school classroom, you can have purpose and meaning to your life. It cannot be taken away. Hope cannot be taken away. It can't, not by the diagnosis, not by the addiction. Hope cannot be taken away. And the power to overcome our fear cannot be taken away. That hope becomes the thing that moves us beyond our fear. And that's what we see the implications of Easter are. We see a Peter that stares the people that, that were there when he denied Jesus and he says, you know what, I'm a different Peter because the resurrection is personal to me now. I've come face to face with a resurrected Jesus and it's changed me. Because he lives, we can face what this world throws at us. Because he is risen. He is risen indeed. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we are so grateful for the resurrection. God, and I pray that today, for all of us, it'd be made personal. That we'd find purpose, forgiveness, hope, and power in the resurrection. God, and I know that we've got so much going on today. Maybe we're thinking about the plans of the things that are happening after, after this service, Lord. But in these moments, as we end our service with these songs that speak truth, I pray that as we sing these words, it would seal the reality of the resurrection, the reality of that Easter, that Jesus conquered death, that it would seal that in our hearts. That we would see that in you, Lord, that in your son, Jesus, we can experience the hope of everlasting life. God, and that that would change our here and now. 
God, we thank you that Jesus lives. And we thank you that it means that we're forgiven. Thank you for your love and moving towards us when we are hopeless. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.